Yeah, okay, yeah, it would be Eva Buster. I was, yep. I don't know why I had a brain fart. I was trying to remember how to say. P.U. I am intellectually offended at that. <laughs> well, I guess it's better <laughs> than nasally offended, huh? Yep. <laughs> uh, hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal, and sitting across from me digitally and virtually is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. And we are not in a room, but we're talking about books and not about Scotch. We are both I, in a room. We we are. We are in a, a room each, separate, as we have made that joke in many previous episodes. Uh, yeah, I was, I was just going to say <laughs> that, you know, two-second joke and then let it go and not point that out, but here we are on this. Here we are. You know, here we are, you know sitting in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> as so, you know, we are always as, sitting in it, aren't we? We are. Um, yeah, well, I'm just going to dive right into it, Ethan. Okay. Um, Excellent. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm. No. No funny business. No. I mean, one. One might argue that we have never done funny business on this show. <laughs> no. Yes. Uh. So the scotch we are drinking today, Ethan, is the Talisker single malt scotch whiskey. Talisker um, Storm. Yes. Ta- Talisker Storm. Yes. Talisker Storm. I don't know if they have other iterations, whiskey. but that's what it that's, says. That's fair. On my fair. thing. Yeah. I think there it are says like an older intense ones, talisker. But... Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. But that's all right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so nice blue box with a stormy sea on it, and then the bottle is clear with the brown. Were you starting to read the the top of the lid? The the the, the underside of the top lid. Yeah. yeah, an intense talisker. I was just I just read the first line of it. I mean, I could go on. I just I mean everything you've just said, and also everything about that little blurb on the bottom of the lid, just like pushes all of my scotch buttons. Good. Um, good. An intense scout <laughs> talisker with a profoundly maritime character. Warm welcome from a wild Hebridean sea, like. That's everything I want. Like, <laughs> yeah, it yeah it sounds sounds great. So, and uh, I I told you in the secret pre-show off mic version because I wasn't recording um, about my history with this the scotch. Yes, um, it's a very dangerous scotch for me. I won't mm-hmm. go into all of the the stories that I just told you, um, but, but I'll you say I've had it before. I've had it before. Both times, both times, well, there's reason to question this conclusion. I feel like it affected <laughs> me more than similar liquors of like a similar um, proof have affected sure. me. Um, and, you know, as I told you both times, like I, I were times when I was like celebrating or, or hanging out with 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 friends and, and people I didn't normally get to hang out with. So I maybe wasn't paying attention and that might be what the issue was. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do, I will admit, while I love this, this scotch and I, and I am glad you picked it, I do approach this, uh, experience with a little bit of trepidation. Uh, as well <laughs> I mean, as it's, it's what, 90, segment. 91, 92 proof. It's not yeah. terribly no, high we've had, for a scotch. We've had higher proof scotches before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, as I, as I told you off mic and yeah. I'm not going to repeat i do suspect that the scotch is specifically formulated to mess me up um it's it's targeting you yeah is, I, is the I point do here suspect that to it get is you. yeah but i'm it's 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 a honeypot right like i'm i'm yeah. willing to be i'm happy to be gotten that's right that's uh right. yeah the man trap it's an easy it's, e- it's a specifically this man trap um <laughs> and as i <laughs> uh no i was gonna say something else about that but i forgot what it was so uh uh all right let us proceed well get get your other man trap in here to read the rules for us before we pour this sketch i'm gonna not call out hey man trap (laughs) partly because she's upstairs on a skype call with her parents right now uh so she's doing us even more of a favor than usual and interrupting that and uh coming here to read the rules but Hello, hello, wife. Can you come read the rules, please? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. 
If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule 2. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thank you, wife. (laughs) Much appreciated. We appreciate you. Say hi Uh, to your parents for me. (laughs) Ooh, nice. Oh, yeah. Good. This is the first episode of this podcast that I get to use my uh, my special Christmas present that Ooh. my man trap got for me of our our special whiskey glasses. Wait, are you pouring yeah. out two for yourself right away? I'm pouring one for my wife. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, okay. As, as the rules, the rules. Dictate. yeah. Woof. We almost you almost lost right away there. I know. I know. I'm making sure not to. So, yeah, that's, man trap. That's come here, good. please. She's refusing to respond to that. Please pass along to her that I support her refusal. (laughs) Did I hear her say good smart? Yes, she said good smart something something about your right or something (laughs) okay well so we now have cataloged to the number of words how much you listen to your wife (laughs) it's two and with that (laughs) (laughs) sorry oh yeah that's right i copied you Wait, did we so explain e- what your Christmas present was? Now I know we're no, on I the other the, side of the clank, but... I, I said it's the, the special glasses that are okay, applicable okay. to what we are doing today. Okay. That um, actually... Well, I would not have been sorry if you fell into the trap. That was not an intentional <laughs> trap that I laid. I just <laughs> forgot. See? See what I said? Anyway. Very good. Um, yeah, so, Ethan... Uh, this particular time of our recording of this podcast that we do yes um we're discussing um i think this is a first for our podcast besides our shakespeare specials the first time we are discussing a play yes especially on in a two episode spread on a on a normal uh normal record that's not a special which is basically what you just said but Exactly. I wanted to denote really that it was two like episodes. Complicated sentences. I wanted to denote that it was two episodes rather than one, which is okay. part of what makes it it special. Very good. Um, okay. Yes, it does. It's true. You're correct. <laughs> um, listen, listen, if you're going to be pedantic, at least know why you're doing it. <laughs> that's that's you can you can carve that on my tombstone. Rule rules of life. <laughs> <laughs> From Ethan. <laughs> if you're going to be pedantic, at least know why. <laughs> okay. Uh, this play that we're discussing is The Playboy of the Western World by J.M. Singh. Yes. Um, and this was your pick, Ethan. Uh, yes. So uh, I, I'll, I'll give you the floor in just a second. I do want sure. to say that I, I have been familiar with this. I can't remember if I said this on the podcast before, but... Um, you said in it college, either I did on get the to podcast, perform 
in Good. some of this play um yeah. as the the playboy um <laughs> um the, the the titular the titular um, playboy some beach uh, um, <laughs> wait does that do i have to put the explicit tag on now um no so yeah uh <laughs> just, that, that would have been in a in a directing scene right yes okay yes. so for the uninitiated listener meaning not one of the 700 people who went to our college when we did um i'm sure other colleges do a similar thing but oh yeah uh, the the advanced directing class in college uh would do a project two projects every semester that the that the mm-hmm. second semester of directing was taught in which each um uh student student director chose 10 to 15 minutes of a play and um directed it as if it were a, a production basically mm-hmm. um the and the resources and budget were obviously somewhat limited but they they would right. cast it they would they would rehearse it in their own sort of style or or manner and so that's exactly. what michael is referring to having having been in part of this play right and the the, um, the shorthand for those exercises and projects was directing scenes yeah so um yeah do you remember, Michael, what, like, part, do, as you were reading it, did you recognize the part you were in? I did. Well, it was it was clips throughout. It was essentially, okay. um, it, it wound up more or less being the whole play, just really trimmed sure. <laughs> uh, down to about 15, 20 minutes. Oh, um, interesting. Altogether. Um, so, yeah, I did recognize uh, lines and things of it, and then I thought, wait, something else you came after this when i did it but sure okay. and then Makes you sense. read 30 more pages and you found the thing and i got to it yep interesting. <laughs> so but yeah the, the one line in particular that i was looking for as i was reading through was uh when uh christy um described killing his father uh sure. he he rizzed the loy um <laughs> that was that was the one that uh that stuck in my head um so uh with that primer we should give the the listener a chance to read the play or go see yeah. the play <laughs> um yeah this, this is can... one where where you can watch the movie in lieu of reading it you know? that is true actually <laughs> is there i okay if i, I were a good pa- a podcaster i would have done literally any research or reading on this play especially because the subject is so near and dear to me but i did not um so i was gonna ask if there's a movie but you just said you don't know um there is one yes oh, 1962 okay. oh interesting dang now uh-huh. i have really what who, who are the headliners Gary Raymond and Chauvin McKenna. Chauvin? Okay. Chauvin. I'm not sure how. I think. Chauvin. Thank you. Yeah, but, that, that's where the accent is. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, good job not pronouncing it Syoban or anything, though. That's, that's <laughs> better than most Americans would probably do, honestly. Uh, I, I have a wife who, who does appreciate Irish culture, and so <laughs> I, I, I'm semi-initiated. Right. <laughs> Uh, which is all any anyone can ask, really. Um, there you go. Yeah, excellent, interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't recognize those names, which uh, means it maybe was like an Irish production. I'll have to look into this. Maybe I'll put yeah. like if I do look into this between now and when I edit, maybe I'll put stuff in the in the notes. There you um, go. Link to it. Which I think I did. See a if couple... it's on Netflix or Hulu or something. Yeah, I was gonna say I did. A, I did a couple of those actual where i said i would put something in the notes and i did i did one or two of those the yeah. last time or two so uh well, there you go. way to keep your word yeah i know i uh and it's a rare enough occurrence that i had to brag about it is you know that's that that's, that's fair um interesting okay yeah so i don't know i don't know anything about the the production whether it's a good production but um i'm sure there are probably also like if you're willing to dig a little bit there's probably filmed versions of the play available online um when you said that we'll pause which we will i promise Mm -hmm. eventually uh to let the listener read or see the play i was like yes at this particular time in history please see if you can find a production of this play Mm -hmm. and also if you can i will go to it like that's yeah one risk i would be willing to take um absolutely (laughs) flying internationally and then sitting in a in an audience um anyway yes uh so let us pause and welcome back back. yeah absolutely uh yeah 
right, so, uh, so once again, before yes. I give you the floor here, Ethan, on this play, we both read from the same edition of yes. the complete works of Jam Singh. Yes. Um, and I believe you told me that you read the entire book as well. I did, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, we not... both read all of his works. Oh, did you, you read the whole thing as well? Yes. That's wonderful. Um, yes. I did not reread the whole work this for okay. this show, um, which is unfortunate because when I did read the original thing, it was a couple of years ago and it was before I had been to Ireland, uh. um, which, you know, the the ambitious version of, of uh, uh, me was wanting to reread the whole thing just mm. sort of as a before and after, as well as suspecting that you would you would sort of go above and beyond as usual and do so yourself. Um, that was the ambitious version of me, the uh, version of me caught temporally in 2020 and early 2021, uh, found himself without quite the drive to do that, or indeed anything other than play Medieval Total War. But um, <laughs> that said, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you and happy to hear that you've, oh, thank you. that you've read it. Uh, I did get to go to Innismore, the biggest of the Aran Islands ah. um, on my trip. I didn't didn't get to go to Wicklow or, or Connemara. Um, sure. Or, well, no, I don't think I was in West Kerry. I may have ridden a train through West Kerry, but um, for the for the gentle listener's yeah. reference, these are travelogues that are included in the complete works of, of Singh. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I was going to ask you how much of his his travels you you uh were able to duplicate i guess yeah Um, but you've kind of covered that so um i think i brought this book along because i was sort of wanting to see if i could do like a a read along and travel thing but i was too distracted by you know drinking guinness in bars with actual irishmen um uh i'm just gonna say one other thing while we're in there oh i would have gone to the other Aran islands but we were we actually were there last january just about a year ago as we record this and the that's like their off season i guess is roughly from like january through march so like a lot of the ferries and stuff between the islands were not going so we were only able to to get to Innismore. um okay but it was a lovely trip and i would recommend anyone go there and uh that's all i have to say about that very good. Yes. Oh. So I I do want to to say to the the listener just in general that yes this this uh, edition that we both have from the Wordsworth classics um, contains the complete works of J M Singh, which includes um, his six plays. Playboy of the Western World is probably I think definitely the most popular of those plays, especially internationally. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then a lot of prose. Which I think all the prose is nonfiction, essentially travel yep. journalism, yep. Um, where he traveled various places in Ireland. And then it uh, closes with uh, some poetry, which includes some translation in poetry. Yeah. Uh, the largest part of the book by far is his travelogue of the Aran Islands. Um, oh, yeah. That uh, goes from page 307 until page 433. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the, the largest section of the book. And then um, zooming out even more, the travelogue part is, is also, yeah. if you could, were to consider that as a whole, would be vastly the most the largest part right which which leads to this comment that i want to make before i give you the floor which i've been promising to do well i've been time. sort of taking You've it been anyway, taking so. it it yeah it's fine as, as per usual <laughs> that's that's how it goes um <laughs> that uh as we talk about this i will want to discuss some of the nonfiction that even like the introduction states explicitly informed his playwriting yes um that jam singh himself like wrote some of his dialogue based on what he heard through the floorboards in the (laughs) places he was staying um and then you know some of the stories that you read in the travelogues are pretty much verbatim turned into plays um and so some of that we'll we'll probably discuss as we go through the playboy of the western world here so that's kind of a disclaimer Sure. To the listener a little bit here that uh, if if we talk about some of the nonfiction, I'll 
try to keep it we'll we'll kind of announce when we talk about those things sure yeah um, absolutely. and give the in the inside on it as much as possible but if you want to get the the full experience uh go back to that pause rewind and read the whole work the whole book yeah <laughs> and come back <laughs> and i keep meaning to note and forgetting um when i in the in the show notes when i linked normally we link to whatever book we're currently reading whatever book yeah. we're reading next um mm-hmm. I have been linking to both just a, a bare copy of Playboy and mm. to Sing's um, Complete Works. The complete Works. Great. Um, which I think I'll keep doing just for reference. Yeah. And because, like you said, they are so... You can read them separately, but they do work so well together. Um, and then uh, combined with the fact that I don't... I think, like, this Wordsworth edition even new is not very expensive and i don't think it'd be yeah. much more expensive to buy that than to buy just a copy of of playboy printed by whoever sure. is printing it now so it's, it's almost like you might as well um it, not that we are at this point prejudiced in in any way <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah i think as as like sort of our usual uh uh there's a word i'm looking for our usual practice i guess on this show like if you've only read playboy you should be able to keep up with the discussion i think is right sort of how we'll yes how we'll frame that um but again right. it's it's very much worth uh reading the whole thing i as a very non-prejudiced witness uh would like to would <laughs> like to say yeah absolutely <laughs> so now ethan i will cede the floor to you so that you can tell us more about why you picked this book and what you, what your, I'll say your number one thing you want to talk about in this book. We'll start there. Sure. Or play, um, I should say. Yes, in this, in this play. Uh, well, um, I guess to start with the obvious things, I have long been very obsessed with Irish culture. Um, probably started as an obsession with Irish music in, in mm. high school or even middle school. Um Actually, I think uh, to really go deep into my psyche in a way that no one wants, um, I think it probably started with Lord of the Rings. And, oh, okay. Um, I you know I saw Lord of the Rings in the theater when I was twelve or so, and it was a just overwhelming experience. Um, and I remember going to Barnes and Noble afterwards because my entire childhood was spent uh, going to movies and then to bookstores with my parents, um, mm-hmm. which sounds pretty idyllic, honestly, especially here in early <laughs> 2021. Um, but I remember going through the Barnes and Noble music section and they had mm. those like uh, stations where you had like a gross set of headphones that a million people had worn. And then you could like poke through samples of different CDs that were on offer. And um, I found a cd that was called celtic song i think um because mm. i was looking specific i was like looking for music that basically was the music from lord of the rings uh-huh. um and i found that cd and of course you know i know now that like the the comparison between the two is like uh, hopefully not offensive but potentially simplistically offensive or offensively simplistic um sure <laughs> Uh, but I was 12, whatever. Um, and this, yeah. this CD, you know, I think it, it was $12, which was like $2 more than my allowance. But my dad was very, very sweet and got it for me anyway. And, I, and that sort of launched me. And from there, I like, it was a phase where I tried to learn both Irish and Scottish Gaelic uh, through song lyrics. Um, which if you can imagine like learning English as a non-speaker through just the lyrics to our song, you can, songs like our pop songs, you can probably imagine how that went. Um, but yeah, I've I've been obsessed with, with Irish stuff since literally since then. So this does go deep into my psyche. And I think, you know, you mentioned that, that, uh, your wife is, has an appreciation for Irish culture and, and Celtic culture. And I think there's something about celtic culture overall that it's like you either get it or you don't and you don't (laughs) have to be obsessed with it if you do get it like Mm, you can mm -hmm. you know but it's like there's something so deep-seated about those of us who really connect with it that it's like 
difficult to even translate. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, it's very <laughs> autobiographical. Uh, but um, also, I think The Playboy of the Western World is a fascinating play. Like, even if you sort of uproot everything about the psyche of someone like me and try to view it as a, a piece of literature that exists in the English language and, and has had an influence, like, you know, sort of the way that uh, those of us who talk about literature view any artifact of of literature, whether it's, you know, a novel published yesterday or a translation of Don Quixote or anything sort of in between the two. Um, partly because it's so Irish. <laughs> um, and Absolutely. it takes, it, it was published, it was created uh, about 15 years before Ireland as a nation was even sort of conceivable um, on an international stage. It was it was very conceivable for hundreds of years to the Irish and and oh sure um, so forth. But like it's it's as if it's almost as if someone had like written a play about the soul of America, the soul of the United <laughs> States in like 1765. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fascinating. And then also just, again, if you sort of abstract the plot out and take away all of the the specifically Irish stuff and the specifically, like, uh, uh, stuff that's of its time to one degree or another, um, if you abstract all of that out and just... And, and this is, like, how I believe it was um, first described to me, possibly by... Uh, the director of your the the uh, directing project that you acted mm-hmm. in, it's um, just like a play about a guy who comes to a small town having killed his father, and the small town celebrates him as a hero. Like that idea, like that that, that yep. <laughs> log line is so incredible, and like you know potentially troubling and transgressive depending on what direction you go. Yeah. In it. but like just so like. I remember hearing, I think I remember hearing that one sentence about this play and I didn't even necessarily know it was an Irish play and being mm-hmm. like, I have to read this play. Right? Um, and having read it, it like, uh, to say it lives up to the hype, assumes a lot of bases that, that you know, are very arguable and I don't necessarily want to get into, but sure. for me personally for everything I wanted or hoped for or needed from this play, it lives up to the hype. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, if, so, if I can interject, some of, of the, the hype about this play, at least for, for me, um, was the, the, uh, the knowledge that it's sparked riots, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is always just an interesting topic. And it's one of those things that like, that could be a podcast itself, just going oh, yeah. through all the things that have sparked riots. Oh my god! History. Okay, uh, and, so there's a and investigating those things. Oh because my god! It, it's you know to to modern sensibilities. Like you read this play and you can see, okay, it's it's kind of different. It's out there. It's I, I mean, even even that's kind of saying much, but right, it sparked riots. Yeah. What? <laughs> um, yeah and and like reading some some of the history it does make sense we can talk about that later that's what i was gonna say some of the context is sort of for that is sort of what i at least wanted to broach next um yeah but you just gave me an idea for like a new podcast and if this happens (laughs) you heard it here first so there's a a really good history podcast it's called history on fire um oh boy and now it just makes me want to do like a podcast that admittedly would sort of be uh, uh, piggybacking on that that at least concept <laughs> a little bit, but I want to call it literature on fire, and it would just be like studies of times that plays or other works of literature, or you could expand it to other art. Like I know operas have done this, but times mm-hmm. that they have caused yes. riots or other other uh, you know what what would seem to us to be like. 
disproportionate reactions to like a symphony there have been symphonies that have caused riots and that's bonkers in the 20th century like didn't some of stravinsky's symphonies cause riots that sounds right that sounds right like i think either firebird or rite of spring or both i want to say maybe did i have i I have no idea. Like I'm, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm less well versed I... in in the realm of music, but exactly. yes, like I mean, to 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 our sensibilities, for such a thing to occur is wild, yeah. absolutely wild. So getting some of the context, and that's that's something that I appreciated about this whole book, the yeah. complete works of Sing, uh, that gave some of that context, so I can say. I understand right. <laughs> why a riot happened because of this play. Yeah. And maybe t- to me, maybe because of having read this, this volume, like the riots around this play make more sense than some of the other ones that I know about. Oh, sure. Um, and but maybe who knows whether some of that context being filled in might make that. That's, make sense that's what I was going to well. say. Like may- maybe it's just because I have more context for Irish history than some of these sure. other histories, but I know you and I have talked about this before and like, uh, I want to. I, I feel like I remember you studying a Victor Hugo play in college that supposedly sparked a riot, or something. I I just have that random memory um, of you showing can't. me a Victor Hugo play and being like, "This made Paris riot." Um, I can't remember for sure about that, but again, since that, this is a, that's totally within the realm of possibility. Me just <laughs> wildly speculating about things I barely remember segment. Um, <laughs> Yeah, from 10 years ago exactly um, yeah. uh anyway yeah um so i didn't and actually possibly this is for the best um i did not reread the introduction to okay. this uh play i meant to um but i just i just didn't um but here's what i know about irish history uh associated with this play and specifically in 1907 um so uh all right i'm trying the the chronology i was about to give started in in about 1000 bc so i'm trying to sort of narrow it down here um so in (laughs) the 12th century um Mm -hmm. of course the the normans invade ireland the the ruling uh people ruling England invade Ireland um, and kick off what the Irish or at least many factions of the Irish will see as 800 to a thousand years of despotic rule. Now for anyone versed in Irish history, listening to this, please forgive me. I know that it's (laughs) vastly more complicated and complex than that. Um, (laughs) But uh this is, you know, sort of how it looks, especially maybe if you're someone politically active, an Irish person who's politically active in, say, the late 19th century, the early 20th century. Um, you're staring down, if you look back at your history, you're staring down the barrel of 800 plus years of despotic English rule. Um, and, you know, in in some historical senses, that culminates in the potato famine of... Uh, 1847 going forward um if you've ever heard the term black 47 that's that's referring to that year of the potato famine um and as well as and i you know i'm trying not to say anything too like extreme here but like Actions, riot. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> actions taken by the English in the 19th century in both Scotland and Ireland, if they were taken now, would be described as genocide or attempted mm-hmm. genocide. That's just a historical fact. And there you go. Um, you know, again, it's it's um, eliding stuff that's much more complex and complicated. But of course, <laughs> uh, also every like what I just said is true. Okay. So, 1848, 1850, you know, and of course the um, effects of the potato famine don't just stay sort of in that time. They they move forward. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually saw, and I'm quoting this from memory, so it's probably imprecise, but the rough idea was I saw a, uh, it was like a comparison of England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland 
and their populations in, I believe, 1820 or 1821 versus 2019. And um, the populations of England, Scotland, and Wales had all shot up, as you kind of expect a modern industrialized nation to do. Mm-hmm. The populations of Ireland in 1819 and 2019 were the same. Um, huh. And, and like, you know, I went to several museums when I, when I was in, in Dublin and, and Galway that uh, talked about this. Um, that's the, 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 there was basically a lacuna in population of the nation of Ireland because of the amount of people who died in the potato famine and the amount of people who emigrated out Left. because yeah. of the potato famine. And it was such a sharp dip that um, it, it decreased the population so much that once, you know, later on as Ireland becomes sort of a modern industrialized nation, the growth in population that they saw only got them back as of like now to where they were in the early 1800s. Hmm. Um which is probably something, and I, I at least I suspect is something you couldn't say for any other nation. Certainly not for similar reasons. Um, right. So that's all to say this is you know in 1907 you're the same amount you're a, a smaller amount of time away from the peak of the potato famine than we are from World War Two. Um, mm-hmm. And if you think about how much World War II and the atomic bombs and other others, you know, things sort of around that era still affect us, um, you can only imagine, you know, how much this this uh, imprint on the Irish psyche right. is still affecting them at this time. Um, so that's where we that's uh, part of part of the context for this play, um, and a further part of the context is that. In reaction to this, as part of a groundswell of anti-English or pro-Irish nationalistic sentiment, there is this movement um, to sort of rediscover Irishness. Um, Mm -hmm. And that becomes a very fraught thing. And I believe the introduction even talks about some of the battles over who got to define Irishness and who got to... um, uh, talk about it and, and you know publish plays or, or other works about it. Um, so uh, part of John Millington Singh's project, and and so th- this um, to situate this further, there's a whole literary movement, and famous names from it include William Butler Yeats, um, mm. Lady Gregory, who. Mm-hmm. Um, wrote a, a book of Irish like myths and legends that is still like a touchstone. Like, it's one of those like foundational works that uh, scholars now go back to her and rely on her scholarship and her collection to um, look at things that are earlier that have either been lost or fallen into obscurity. And that's for better or worse. You know, she she mm-hmm. probably had her flaws as much as any scholar. Um, so Lady Gregory is part of it. Yates is part of it. Uh, um, people associated with it, who I want to very carefully say weren't necessarily part of it, include James Joyce, who was a little bit later and actually reacted against some of the Irish literary uh, movement, um, as well as, uh, I believe, George, Ber- uh, George Bernard Shaw, I believe, um, <laughs> was part of this movement. Is Shaw the one who stormed out of the Tinker's Wedding? No, um, that was Yates. Oh, that was Yates. Okay. Anyway, yep. um, so there's a lot of, and I've named probably the biggest ones, but there's a lot of like uh, playwrights and poets, especially from the early part of the 20th century, whose names we would recognize who were mm-hmm. either part of this this Irish, they called it the Irish Literary Revival, or they were um, associated with it, even in reacting against it. Um Again, Joyce, if I'm remembering correctly, sort of thought of it as like too provincial almost. Like he wanted to do sort of a different project and and be part of world literature rather than Irish literature. But of course, you know, that's... um, uh, Oscar Wilde was also writing around this time. He's very Irish, um, whether he's... I think he gets gets included as part of that revival. Um, 
again, with all of these figures, I'm sure there are scholars who would include them on the list and, and scholars who wouldn't. Yeah. And how that all goes. But so there's a groundswell of, uh, at, in, at this time in the early 20th century, um, there's this groundswell of Irish literature, Ireland as a literary country, as producing a unique literature set apart from English literature, British literature. Um, and that's part of what Singh is trying to do. He's trying to mm-hmm. create or help create an Irish literature and an Irish identity. Um, and there's a lot more I could say about that whole project, but uh, I won't. Um, so, uh, so okay. So part of Singh's project, part of why he or why the Playboy of the Western World exists is he in order to find like or at least in search of like a true irishness you have the sort of golden age idea that that uh there's a there's an irishness that's valuable that's um been sort of stomped down by the english boot stomping on the irish face and that is recoverable so that's why Singh goes to the west he goes um, if you're pulling from his his complete works here, he goes to to Connemara, um, to Wicklow, uh, to West Kerry, and to the Aran Islands, which are all sort of the westernmost parts of Ireland. Yes, there's this lovely set of maps in the beginning of the, oh, the yes. complete works. I I referred to that so much. Yeah, <laughs> reading this, um, which is which is wonderful, and it's I'm sure the the intention. Um, yes. But yeah, uh, so um, the uh, so like all these these west parts, they were the parts where that were and all of what I'm saying is like me trying to talk about Singh's perspective. Like mm-hmm. probably some of what he thought was probably true, and probably some of it was incorrect, and would certainly be disputed by modern scholars or other readers. Um, but this is what Singh thought. And so part of what Singh thought is that, and again, this is like, there's a lot of truth to this probably, the Western part of Ireland hadn't been as colonized by uh, England, the English language, yeah. English culture, as the West had. Um, mm-hmm. So he, and, you know, there's there's a certain, uh, I think the introduction touches on the idea of Orientalism, and there is a certain Orientalism to this, and we can talk about this mm-hmm. at some point Um but Singh's idea was to get to the West to try to find the real Ireland, the real culture in as much as it had been preserved and, and had been not like stamped, tamped down, stamped down by, you know, the, the English oppressor. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, I, I, to some extent, I saw this uh, when I went to Ireland. Uh, we toured the uh, Innismore, the largest of the, the Aran Islands, and got to got to see like our tour guide interacting with the person who ran the uh the little pub that we ate lunch at talking to each other in irish um and they you know spoke it as fluently as they did english if not more so and i have to assume they were making fun of us but i didn't even care um (laughs) actually that's probably a very like ungenerous interpretation because they were lovely and like i have no reason to think they were making fun of us other than i've been in the service industry and i know what people say about you know uh, customers yeah. behind closed doors um but of if, course. if patrick our tour guide is listening to this i don't even care you were so lovely um anyway <laughs> um so again like that part of sing's project that that idea that that like to get out to the west there's there's probably some element of of irishness that is un changed or at least less changed and better preserved Mm -hmm. probably is true um so the playboy of the western world comes directly out of and see this does actually tie in um comes directly out of uh some of his travels and some of this project um and so some of the things he wanted to do in the playboy of the western world were to uh use irish dialect and to use um, a setting, and even like if you pay attention to some of like the travelogues and so forth, some of like the values and the ideas that these people in the west of Ireland uh, 
that that you know they they held to that at least Singh perceived were sort of different from Englishness or English values or sort of Western European values um, or wh however sort of widely you want to phrase that. Mm -hmm. um, so those are those are all assertions. I, I may have gotten some of the details wrong because uh, this is not a podcast where we do our research. Uh, <laughs> but those are all things I could, you know, do the research and I think defend pretty successfully um sure this part is me sort of launching off into speculation but i also suspect you know as any good playwright will that he was also tr within that trying to find ideas and values and themes that would be universal because you know that's sort yeah. of what writers do mm -hmm. but also ones that would be engaging uh on the on sort of the world stage um if you know if he had that that amount of ambition um mm -hmm. and i mean to um you know to go back to what i what i uh said sort of at the top of the podcast uh i think with this play he succeeds to a pretty admirable degree um and that's and so uh bringing it hopefully all the way back around to your original question about like <laughs> why I chose this play, what was specifically interesting about this play uh, to have a play in dialect and to have characters that were not of like what we'd call the upper middle class, if not of the aristocracy to, and to have um, sort of a plot that revolved around basically sex and violence. If you get right down yeah. to it, uh, yeah. These were all things that in 1907 on like sort of on the scale of world literature were pretty like inflammatory. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, this was, this was a time of very like, even, even sort of like the importance of being earnest came out maybe 10 years earlier. And, mm. you know, it's very decorous. All the characters are sort of upper class and, um, you know, obviously, importance of being earnest borders on inventing absurdism fifty years early. Um, <laughs> but like, if you look at the surface level, like the characters are very, again, very sort of uh, decorous. And other plays, like Shaw's plays, tended to be very intellectual and involve, you know, uh -huh. the movers and shakers at a high level. And to have this like sexy peasant murder play. Uh, <laughs> was pretty transgressive um <laughs> i want to see that on a playbill now <laughs> playboy of the western world a sexy peasant murder play <laughs> um if and when i start my community theater company which will involve <laughs> our first production here in you know the upper midwest being everyone doing irish accents we will do this play and we that will be our playbill um, nice nice but so again, like there are all kinds of reasons that this play might have incited riots. Um, mm -hmm. And again, this is me having read the introduction only a couple of years ago, so I don't remember what it lists. But the con the controversy about Irish nationalism, um, mm -hmm. the fact that this was essentially a work being done under an occupying force, um, you know, every bit as as hostile as any occupying force by any military power in history um the fact that Singh, and we haven't even touched on this you know at the time he was yeah. he was more of an upper class person he was seen maybe in the ruling classes that were more associated with englishness than irishness um mm -hmm. and the fact that even generically in the sense of being genre adjacent uh, this is this is a play that violates a bunch of norms like it's it's you know almost just like a fireball of a play um, yeah it's like yelling fire in a crowded theater um you know absolutely of a, of a play uh yeah so that's yeah that's a context why i chose this play why it might have incited riots to the best of my ability uh in his believe it or not short of form as i know how to how to make it 
You know, I, 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 I always love our, our episodes when I ask you a question with maybe one sub question <laughs> that gives us 30 minutes of content. So um, <laughs> as long as you like but, it, that's the that's the important part. That's that's exactly right. I am the most important audience member of this podcast. Um, I mean, I'm finding it hard to get disagree. <laughs> I, I want to mention other than our context, two patrons, but yes sorry uh in in connection with uh some of the things that you've uh mentioned here some of the footnotes um through this play and i there there i'll talk more about footnotes later in in some of the ones that i i have problems with but i want to talk about <laughs> some interesting ones here sure um uh the first one that you touched on with the the genre of the play is footnote number one which is right away on page 69 yes um that sing sets the play in county mayo on the west coast and depicts the stage as a traditional cottage all of which conforms to the quote peasant drama and quote formula favored by nationalist audiences in 1907 his intention though is to challenge their expectations then it says see introduction i'm not going to do that right now but sure. like right there that's really intriguing to me and is a really good way to set the stage for why this would incite riots yes he's setting everyone up for one thing and then flipping everything around and that's that's why the riots happen i mean you i, I don't want to draw parallels to modern day or or try to put it in modern day terms all that much but it's almost as if um one way or another if you if you set a a movie uh that was it, it set the expectation to be something that was extremely i don't know like we'll say pro second amendment <laughs> want to put it that way um but then it turns around and winds up being the exact opposite you know that would incite riots in certain theaters um i mean okay and you've probably chosen the the other way (laughs) see i don't know well we we could we could uh debate that either way but like (laughs) you've probably chosen the analogy that actually would come the closest to doing this Mm -hmm. um but even that analogy doesn't feel like you know uh it's not it's not a one-to-one well well yeah yeah i mean some of this probably has to do like i always wondered as a younger person like why some of these things don't happen in america and i think some of it has to do with just the vastness of the united states um because some of this has to do with the fact that like especially in 1907 like dublin is like the new york city of ireland but it's the mm-hmm. New York City of Ireland if, say, like, Boston, St. Louis, Milwaukee, <laughs> uh, and even, like, Los Angeles, as well as several other, like, major cities. Don't don't at me if I missed yours. Uh, if they all didn't <laughs> exist, right? If there were only New York City and then, like, towns. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's a much more European, like, just spatially, that's a, oh, yeah. that's a thing. But... It is like if only New York City existed and and they did the thing that you said, I don't know, mm-hmm. like, even that is a pretty imprecise and bad analogy, but it's, it's a, yeah. Um, but it's as close to an analogy as I think I can yeah. make it. Yeah. And like, yeah, I just, I, I feel compelled to say we are on the future side of January 6th, 2021. And we're probably not touching that on purpose. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so like this, this is in that context. Uh, so yeah, I, but I, I don't want, I don't feel like there's an analogy we can draw there that doesn't trivialize one thing or the other. Um, it, yeah, it's, that's what I'm trying to avoid. I don't yeah. want to trivialize anybody. Exactly. And, uh, but like, I don't know. To me, the the closest thing I can I can come up with, in it, there's some there's some analogies I'm tempted to draw back to like Greek culture, um, mm. where theater was as much a liturgy, like a religious oh yeah ceremony mm-hmm. as it was a, a entertainment or performance, um, which is also not exact, but it's like it's almost. Here's what I want to say, and this isn't gonna make any better sense of anything it's like if <laughs> you had a play that 
like a ton of people like a statistical statistically pretty big minority of people in the country attended that was also a catholic mass and then Mm -hmm. you both violated the terms of the genre and of the the religious ceremony happening yep you you added the cat in the hat there (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and again i i honestly don't know enough about irish theater specifically to sure real sort of sure on the on the lines where the the religious aspect comes in but I think it's it's closer I would I would suspect that Irish culture at the time was closer to that ancient Greek culture than it is to America now if that makes sense. It does. It does and it intrigues me and also kind of makes me sad. <laughs> right. I'm going to go on to the next footnote I wanted to point out and that's on page 118 yeah. it's footnote 50. Um, and this, I would say, is the footnote <laughs> of the okay. play in this book. Okay. It's the footnote. Um, it's referring to Christie's line uh, and the, the whole line that he says here. It's Pegeen I'm seeking only. And what did I care if you brought if you brought me a drift of chosen female standing in there? Shifts itself, maybe, from this place to the Eastern world. <laughs> um, uh, arguing with uh, the widow Quinn, um, who's telling him to leave. And he's like, no, I don't want to leave Pegeen. I'm not going to go find some other lady. Anyway, the footnote uh, referring to that says, At the first performance of Playboy, it was this line of Christie's that tipped an already disturbed audience over the edge and triggered the Playboy riots. See yes. introduction. A shift is an underskirt or petticoat, which if you didn't know that already, here it's telling you. <laughs> and Christie thus conjures an image of Irish womanhood scantily clad rather than pure and virginal as in Catholic nationalist rhetoric. Which I, you didn't talk about the the religious lines about it, and I don't know right. how much that had to bear. I, from my very limited understanding, I think it did have a decent impact on um, the the lines within Ireland, uh, the Catholic versus oh, Protestant. Oh yeah, I I specifically um, avoided talking about Catholic versus Protestant because that okay. was a whole <laughs> I, hour's I, digression that I wouldn't be able to avoid saying. I, I, I would never accuse you of neglecting it or <laughs> <laughs> anything like that. So I, I'm, I knew you had a purpose. Right. But anyway, uh, moreover, Christie's allusion to the marriage bargain offered earlier by Sean implicitly compares them to cattle. And that's from footnote 48. Sure. Um, so, okay. So there, there are, um, I mean, so, you, you touched on exactly that, the nationalism in Ireland, and here he is offending that. Yes. Um, and- <laughs> Even while he's trying to promote a nationalism himself, um right it's it's so interesting um and part of that like i remember reading that footnote now and wondering if they had done a similar thing to like what we just said i did with the the catholic protestant divide in avoiding what i'm about to say um or if what i'm about to say is wrong-headed which is also possible but there is a tradition within irish literature and especially irish poetry of um conceptualizing ireland like sort of metaphorizing ireland as a beautiful irish woman Um, so like a lot of irish poems especially going back to some earlier centuries like uh there's there's a lot of really interest excuse me really interesting stuff about the the bards and the wandering like tail spinners of like i want to say like the 16th century the 17th century and they have all these these ballads and they're like about beautiful women but mm-hmm. if you you know if you sort of have the 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 key the to the symbolism um the the all the metaphors that you you know the the dark eyes and the dark hair and the and the fair skin and and whatever else all have like nationalistic overtones and i don't know for sure if it was like a way to hide what you were saying in again you know a a authoritarian oppressive regime or if it was just a poetic you know metaphor that appealed it was probably both at different times i'm guessing um yeah but quite often in irish poetry uh, the nation of ireland is conceptualized as a beautiful woman or just Mm -hmm. as a as a woman um which you know you you can draw draw analogies to since we don't have enough bad analogies in this episode already um (laughs) to like 
medieval concepts of like the person of the king representing the nation that the the king was the king of so like if the if the nation was sick the king was sick or vice versa um it's almost like a similar thing in poetic metaphor um so i've suspected every and i've read this play several times and i guess never bothered to to try to figure out if there's any support for this but i've suspected that that also like just was like part of the twisting of the knife there um in you know again provoking this audience that was already very provoked at an already provocative play um was just like again if you if you're already viewing this play in a hostile manner you're saying like i don't know again bad analogy alert but it's like if you had a supposedly pro united states movie that like the climax involved like shooting a bald eagle out of the air or something oh yeah um or or slicing the statue of liberty in half yeah something like that (laughs) um (laughs) which again is probably imprecise and and of course but well every analogy is yeah but but this is not the philosophy podcast um no it's not (laughs) yes which it's interesting to me too, just at at the the twilight of this episode, um, to to <laughs> notice that that incendiary line comes just four pages before the end of the play. yeah they almost like, got literally there. just wait five minutes <laughs> <laughs> and then riot and then we can pretend it's a standing ovation right yes exactly um yeah but uh i i i think this this is probably a good spot to to end this episode at and we'll discuss more next episode and i promise next episode to complain about some footnotes yeah Um, i'm very intrigued by that actually but uh we'll we'll talk about that and then uh we'll probably drift into some of the uh non-fiction as well a little bit i've got a couple of thoughts questions sure but uh yeah um so we'll uh leave it there and continue discussing the playboy of the western world for our next episode uh so keep giving us your feedback um by the time you hear this episode we will have recorded the second episode but give us your thoughts on this play or on anything we've discussed and whenever we record next after hearing your feedback we'll talk about your feedback um, and you can go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org, put Scotch Talk in the subject line, uh, or find us on Twitter at Room with Scotch. You can find me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Ethan, where can they find you? I am at Bjartlett on Twitter. That's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Um, mm. Now that one of my friends has begun an ironic read of self-published shapeshifter erotica, I am on Twitter like... <laughs> twice as often as i usually am uh that's that's all i have to explain about that that's that's, no more explanation needed we just we just Uh, don't need to make this podcast have even more of me talking but yes anyway (laughs) either way i will probably see it if you tweet at me um sure yeah yeah, uh, you can also get in touch with us in the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook. That's our uh, closed Facebook group. You can request to join, and we will let you in, uh, unless you I don't know. I I, I don't want to I don't want to divide a political line here between nationalist or non-nationalist, or you think you're nationalist. Uh, you're why don't you go for Catholic and Protestant? That seems like a much less. Uh, if you're Catholic fraud. or Protestant, then we won't let you in. Oh, wait. No. Well, okay. <laughs> uh... <laughs> i got it i got it i got it okay if you're if you're catholic protestant or something else we will let you in we will let okay probably thank you there unless you're another category that's bad okay um yes we'll also do your homework uh we don't promise to do your homework well but we condone plagiarism because it's funny uh go to the website tapsradio.org slash scotchcast all one word there, Scotchcast, and fill out the form uh, towards the top of the page uh, for homework submission. We will do our best to give you something that you can turn into your teacher and get you thrown into plagiarism jail, uh, and we'll laugh about it. Um, Absolutely. If you like this podcast, check out the other shows in the Tapestry Radio Network, Intermission, Us Play Fiasco, Freddy Goes to a Podcast, Pokemon Rollout, um, 
I know we we discussed some of the summary of all of those. I'm just going to list them all right now. Yeah, brilliant. Um, <laughs> just uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher. I think we're on there. Amazon Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, rate us. Give us um, whatever the highest is. That's probably going to be the most beneficial. If it's yep. five stars, For sure. give us five. Yeah. If it, if it's if the highest is four stars, give us five stars. Yeah. Um, that's the best way to um, get their algorithms to work to promote our podcast, and then just tell people oh about our podcast and get other get your friends to join. You just age yourself um, by like twenty five years. I know. I know it really does. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ethan, anything else to promote or say? Uh, my webcomic, Pin Porter Girl Detective. Yes. Um, it's at pinporterdetective.com. Uh, I write the script for it, uh, and um, at my friend Robin G does all of the art. Basically, does everything that's not like just writing a script. And because of that, it's very brilliant and good. And we haven't posted anything in a while, but if you haven't gone into it yet, there's 180 pages of backlog. So maybe by the time. <laughs> you get through it we will have uh yeah still worth reading still very proud of this project and yeah. yes that's all fantastic um yes so until next time just remember it's our party and we'll cry if we are moved to riot Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.